Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride of MileHighSports.com. That is where you can find all of the Nuggets content that Mile High Sports produces. Go ahead and punch in MileHighSports.com into your browser, and in the top right corner, you will see that Nuggets icon. If you just click on that, it'll take you to everything Nuggets that Mile High Sports has to offer. So I'm going to dive in what was one of the weirdest games I have personally watched live, which was the Nuggets 95-92 win over the Detroit Pistons at home to give Denver their 50th win of the year. It is their first time since the 2012-13 season that the Nuggets have been able to get up to that 50-win mark. And it's pretty impressive seeing where they at. The Nuggets really handled business pretty well in this game, um, although they completely let off the gas in the second half despite the fact that they still managed to come away with a pretty significant win nonetheless. Um, We're going to dive into all kinds of interesting conversations from this game, uh, specifically why I thought this game was one of the weirdest games I've seen all year. Um, We'll talk about how it was one of Jamal Murray's best games on both ends of the court. He was just so well-rounded in this game, in my opinion, and was definitely the Nuggets' best player in this game without a doubt. Um, We'll talk about how Nikola Jokic um, and the way that he played in this game was actually kind of important with an eye towards the playoffs because of the style that Nikola Jokic actually played with. Um, We'll talk about how the Nuggets played basically a C-minus to D effort in the last three quarters of this game and still managed to win the game before diving into some questions that I got from listeners as well as a look ahead to the rest of the schedule. Before we dive into all of those things, though, I do want to take this time to first give a shout-out to the Regulators Production Group. They are the ones who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast as I have told you guys countless times. They do great work. They're featured on a bunch of different Bleacher Report podcasts and things like that, and they definitely deserve your... um I guess your patronage um, if you are looking for any kind of beats for podcasts or any kind of music for or any kind of beats for your own music or whatever it may be. You can find them on Instagram under Regulators Regime. They are awesome. They're great people. As cordial as it gets, as great as it as, as easy as it is to communicate, definitely go give them a shout. And also Terrapin Care Station, who is the presenting sponsor of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. They're the best place for all of your local cannabis goods in the local Denver metro area. So definitely make sure to go check them out. And here is a quick word from Terrapin Care Station before we dive into the rest of the podcast. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. All of the insanity that transpired in this game. So, just to start from the top, the Nuggets have one of the most dominant first quarters they have had 
arguably all year. They hold the Pistons to just nine points in the first quarter. I believe they only shot three of 24, if I remember correctly. And it was just a slaughtering. The Nuggets could do whatever they wanted on that end of the floor, and they did so. Um, it just looked like from that point forward, like this was just going to be a decimation. But then after giving up nine points in the first quarter, the Nuggets gave up 83 points in the next three quarters. So while, yes, the Nuggets were great in the first, they just completely stopped playing defense for the rest of the game. So they gave up nine points in the first quarter, 30 in the second, 23 in the third, and another 30 points in the fourth. So overall, not a great defensive game from Denver outside of that first quarter. And then despite the fact that the Detroit Pistons only managed to shoot 35.3% from the field and 26.2% from three-point distance and only took 13 total free throws in this game, they somehow managed to erase a 27-point deficit. Even when I was watching this game live and in person, and even when I was going back and I rewatched the game, it, it was hard to understand how it was even possible that the Nuggets allowed the Pistons to make that kind of a run, to completely erase a 27-point lead and find themselves back in this game. There was nothing statistically that made any sense about that. I mean, even the... I mean. The Pistons had 17 offensive rebounds. That's the first stat people would point to, but it only turned into 10 second chance points for the for Detroit. So it wasn't as if those extra possessions were even leading to anything for Detroit. So for the fact that they even managed to clear that 27 point deficit despite playing awful basketball offensively, it was incredible to watch. It was just one of the weirdest uh, comebacks I had ever witnessed myself in person or even on TV. And then on top of that, the Nuggets got outscored 53 to. 29 in the second half and somehow managed to win how do you score 29 points in a single half of basketball and somehow come away winning that game giving up so many points to the opposing team it was just a bizarre game but the overall point stands the Nuggets somehow managed to find a way to win this game once again despite playing much 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 worse than their average level of play so what does that mean because I just wrote about this on Mile High Sports about how maybe it's a good thing the Nuggets are able to win games like this because the best teams in the league, they have multiple different gears. And this is the important thing is that the Nuggets have been trying to figure out if they're a two-gear team, if they're just going to be an all-offense, no-defense team, if they're going to be full of tons of effort or not, are those the only two gears they have? Now it's looking like they may have three or four where all of a sudden you have a baseline level or you have the, the, the version of the Nuggets who know that they don't have to give 110% to beat a particular opponent. This Nuggets team now realizes that they exactly how much effort they need to give against inferior opponents to be able to still get the win. And Will Barton kind of said this after the game last night when he came to the media and basically said, you know, we think we're going to win these games anyway. And as a matter of fact, he's right. I mean, the Nuggets, Matt Moore of of, um, of the Action Network put out this incredible stat that the Nuggets are 41-1 and this season when leading after the third quarter. In addition to that, they're one of the best teams in the league in terms of fourth quarter net rating. They have been great in three-point games. They've been great in games decided by 10 points or less. And on top of that, they've been handling teams below 500. They're one of the best teams at beating teams that are under 500 on the season. And they have not brought their A game to the majority of those games. 
But with that being said, this Nuggets team, they do show up when it comes to the high-profile opponents. That's why they have such a great win profile. They've beaten the Warriors. They've beaten the Celtics. They've beaten the Raptors. They've beaten the Rockets. They've beaten the Thunder. They've beaten all of these high-profile, elite-level teams, and they have played up to that competition, but they also know exactly what it takes to get past the lower-level competition that just doesn't match them on a talent level. So... It's an interesting spot the Nuggets are in. Is it a bad thing or a good thing that they're coasting? If the habit becomes that they coast whenever they have an opportunity to do so, that can end up very bad, especially with the playoffs looming so close. But if the Nuggets just know kind of when to take their you know their foot off the accelerator and kind of conserve their energy to be able to beat teams like the Pistons before going into a brutal back-to-back against the Rockets and the Thunder, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. And I think that it's going to make... Michael Malone sweat a lot this season and the next coming years, but that is an important thing for the for the Nuggets to kind of get to. The best teams in the league know how much effort it takes to beat teams that they are just simply better than, and it seems that this Nuggets team has figured it out. All right, now beyond just like the deep philosophical conundrums about the Nuggets' mental state, let's dive into like the actual of what you know the meat of this game. And the biggest takeaway for me was Jamal Murray was fantastic in this game, and when I went back and rewatched his sequences and what he really did as a player in this game it was even better than what I had taken from it on like just the live viewing of the game he was just decisive I think this is the biggest thing when it comes to to Jamal Murray is that when all of the starters are back and healthy and there's so many weapons on the floor around him Jamal has trouble figuring out if he should look for his own offense if he should if he should set up the rest of his teammates if he if he should be altruistic or assertive individually and what that's done is that it has led to him not being decisive anymore and in this game against the Pistons Jamal was decisive and he wasn't just decisive but he did it within the offense it wasn't forced don't get me wrong there were a couple of forced shots which will always happen with Jamal Murray because he is a tough shot maker but he was coming off of screens and getting catch and shoot jumpers by running through a mazes of screens he was attacking and being patient in the paint and hitting good floaters and making the correct passes when he needed to he wasn't forcing these ridiculous three-pointers that weren't going to go in that are low percentage shots he wasn't passing up open three-pointers to step into contested long twos there were so many things that were just calculated by Jamal Murray in this game and he did not second guess himself and that is the best version of Jamal Murray is when he does not second guess himself I know I've been one of the biggest detractors of Jamal Murray basically since he's been drafted and before then, even at Kentucky, I've always, you know, been worried about his shot selection and his ability to break down a defense individually. But in this game, he showed exactly what can make him such a lethal offensive player. And on top of that, he has the potential to be a pretty good defender too when he really buys in. I thought defensively he was awesome in this game. Reggie Jackson was 7-17 from the field for a reason, and Jamal Murray was a big part of that. He was flying around, he was switching, he was staying patient, he was uh, fighting over screens, he was contesting shots, he was scrambling once the defense actually kind of got pulled in different directions and they needed to kind of scramble. He did a great job of providing extreme effort in order to give them that little extra benefit um, defensively. So overall, I had a very, very tough time finding anything wrong with Jamal Murray's game. I thought he was 
I thought this was arguably his best two-way performance of the season, and the Nuggets don't win this game without him. And not only that, he was hyper-efficient. 12 of 19 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, even got to the free-throw line 7 times and made 6 of them, had 5 assists on the night. I mean, overall, just a very, very, very strong game from Jamal Murray at a point in his um, at a point in the season when he's been struggling. He has not been his best self for quite some time, and this was the game where you really saw him come back into his own, and he just looked so comfortable and so decisive and so calculated, and that was my favorite part of Jamal Murray's game uh, against the Pistons was that he just went out there with intent, and he did exactly what he wanted to do, got to his spots, hit the jumpers he wanted to get, and it it paid dividends for, for the Nuggets. The other player who was big in this game for Denver, really the only other um, hyper-important player for the Nuggets in this game, was Nikola Jokic, who was much more of a dominant scorer than he was a playmaker in this game, which is a very different role for him, as we all know. Nikola Jokic is a passing savant. You don't think of him as a volume score with only a couple assists on the docket, but tonight, or but last night against the Pistons, that's exactly what he was. He got up 24 shots in the game and only had two assists. That's a very un-Jokic-like game, but I think it was important to see this because if things get bogged down in the playoffs, they're going to need that. The Nuggets are going to need a one-on-one scorer who can go in there and just get buckets when they need it. When things get bogged down and slowed down and extremely scouted and there's no passing lanes and you can't play this egalitarian style of offense, they're going to need to be able to put their head down and actually convert. And Nikola Jokic, while inefficient because he was so bad in the second half, was very much so in that role. So while I don't like necessarily how Nikola Jokic played, 10 of 24 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3, and only 2 assists against 3 turnovers, it is good to see a different gear in Nikola's game where he can go in and be a surefire, give me the ball, I can go score when I need to kind of player, because that will be important in the playoffs. Okay, uh, before we get into some answers to listener questions, let me first give you one more quick word from Terrapin Care Station because they are doing some kind of cool deals. They always change up their deals um, basically once a month, once every couple of weeks. They change things around for sure. And it's kind of cool because you get to have different deals. Like right now, they're having $100 cartons of Terrapin. So it's a it's, it's one ounce of five, five gram packs of Terrapins that you can mix and match your strains, as well as three one-gram cones. So go check out Terrapin Care Station. They're all over the Denver metro area. There's parking at all of their locations. Extremely discreet, easy to go to, affordable, and a great staff to deal with. So definitely take time to go check out Terrapin Care Station. dive into some questions that came in through Twitter from listeners. I picked three this time because I thought there were three that were very important to hit that I actually really liked the questions of. And then I'll jump into what the rest of the Nuggets schedule looks like and then we'll say goodbye real quick. But so before we do all that though, um, first question came in from Baller 120 on Twitter. He asked, what is Gary Harris's all-star comparison? This is something that I, it was actually I think my first article I ever wrote for Mile High Sports like three years ago, but 
The comparison I've always made with Gary Harris in terms of a potential ceiling, in terms of what he could reach as an all-around player, is a Bradley Beal-type archetype, where he's lethal off-ball, can be a complete disaster for defenses to try and cover off-ball by his off-ball cuts, by his spot-up three-point shooting, running through screens. But on top of that, we have seen in the past year and a half only you know less than we should have because of the injuries, but Gary Harris has grown a lot with the ball in his hands as a player playmaker as well which is what the which is the leap that Bradley Beal took that really pushed him into that all-star conversation um, I don't know if Gary Harris will ever get to that individual shot creation against high-level talent that Bradley Beal is currently at but in terms of if Gary Harris can get to an all-star level what kind of comparison you could see I think Bradley Beal makes the both makes the most sense very similar players coming out of college off-ball threats def- defensive bulldogs that grew um, steadily and exponentially as they got into the league and Gary Harris has followed that path very similarly and also Bradley Beal had a lot of injury concerns in the first few years of his career as well so I do think if there's one comparison to make it is that Bradley Beal comparison because if Gary Harris can become that kind of player for Denver Man, they go to a whole different level, and it's going to be very interesting to monitor Gary Harris's progression next year because he had so many opportunities to show off how much better he has gotten this year because of the injuries. So, And I'm guessing now he's not trying to force himself to play in a more... I don't know, expansive type of a skill set this year because the Nuggets are in a playoff push. They need all the consistency they can get. So right now, Gary Harris is falling more back into what he is good at, not in terms of what he is trying to get better at. So I do think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of Gary Harris we see next year because of the growth that he has shown with the ball in his hands as a playmaker, as a guy who can break down a defense on his own in an isolation setting. Um, if slash when are the Nuggets going to start resting players before the playoffs? This comes in from Andrew on Twitter. This is a great question because there are so many little factors that go into how you rest guys, when you rest guys, what goals you want to accomplish. The Nuggets have said that they have goals they want to accomplish before resting guys. Michael Malone said pregame before the Pistons game that simply stated he is just not ready to start resting guys yet they still have goals to accomplish and what I personally think those goals are are at least home court advantage being locked up in the first round potentially even that second seed where you get home court advantage through the first two rounds of the playoffs I think those might be one of those two is going to be the line for this Nuggets team if they can reach um the like to where they lock in the second seed which I believe their magic number is like eight right now seven or eight to get that second seed then they will start thinking about resting players and when they do rest players it's not going to be we're going to give you the second half off or the fourth quarter off or anything like that Michael Malone said if we're going to rest you we're going to rest you you're sitting out and you are not going to play you are going to rest so in terms of when it's going to happen the Nuggets need to either get home court locked up in the first round or the first two rounds before they even think about doing it and then once they do look for Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray to be the first ones in line to get a um, to get a rest, and then I bet you that would follow up quickly by Paul Millsap and then Mason Plumley after them. So we'll see if they ever actually get to that point. They may never actually get to that point. Michael Malone has put a lot of emphasis on getting into a good rhythm and playing consistent basketball going into the playoffs. So if he does not feel like his team has done that to this point, then he may not even rest them. He may just keep playing them to try to get them into a better mindset going towards the playoffs. But if they're 
going to rest guys. It's going to be after they either lock up the first uh, home court in the first round or home court in the first two rounds. Um, third question, why can't Denver close out games? This came from Daniel on Twitter as well. Um, I kind of talked about this in the first segment of the show where I said that the Nuggets just know exactly how much effort they need to win games. And I think that's kind of what this was. They didn't feel a need just to completely put away the, the, the Detroit Pistons. They, they kind of just coasted to the win instead, which is an extremely slippery slope. No one's going to argue that. But this Nuggets team gets up and they handle good teams. They are not a team that carries that same lackadaisical approach against the best teams in the NBA. They almost always show up with an intensity and an urgency against the very, very good teams. But against the lower level teams, they just don't put them away. And it seems to me that it's a lack of focus. It's a lack of consistency. It's a lack of effort. It's a lack of execution. It's a lack of communication. It's a lack of a whole lot of things that lead to Denver not closing out games. But I don't see it as a huge issue. I'm just not there. And that's what I wrote about on MileHighSports.com, which is published right now up on the website which you will see in milehighsports.com under the Nuggets icon. Thank you guys again for sending for sending in all those Twitter questions. I absolutely love getting those questions from uh, listeners and being able to just interact with fans. It's something that I really enjoy doing with the listeners. So thank you guys again for sending in those questions. We will keep doing that as the year goes along. Let's look at what the Nuggets have for the rest of the season. There are only nine regular season games left. I know that seems insane, but that is really where we are already at, is nine regular season games remain. Um, So the Nuggets will now have... Uh, Wednesday off, which is the day that I am recording this podcast. You'll be listening to it probably Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning. They will take on the Rockets in Houston at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time uh, for the first game of a back-to-back at 6 p.m. They will then take on the Thunder on the second night of a back-to-back in Oklahoma City at the same 6 o'clock time. That back-to-back is going to be so important. If the Nuggets win those two games, which is highly unlikely, I'm not saying that they should or that we should expect them to, but if they win those two games they would have virtually locked up the two seed at that point because the Rockets then, which is really the team that you're worried about catching you, you're taking two games away from the Rockets by getting a win over them and then also giving the Rockets the loss at the exact same time. And then winning against the Thunder is just another nail in the coffin at that point. After that, the Nuggets will then head back to Denver for one game against the Washington Wizards on March 31st. They will then head back out on the road for one game to take on the goal. Golden State Warriors on April 2nd. That game is going to be very interesting because if the Nuggets truly are making a push for the number one seed in the Western Conference, they are they will probably have to win that game against the Warriors in Golden State. And it's not as crazy as it seems because the Warriors seemingly don't care about basketball right now. They are seemingly completely tuned out until the playoffs arrive. So maybe the Nuggets could actually go into Golden State and steal a big win like that. Although the other side of that is, is that the last two Two times the Nuggets have played the Warriors, the Warriors have taken the Nuggets very seriously and have essentially wiped the floor at the Nuggets when they when the Warriors go all the way to flipping the switch to being as good as they can be. 
So that April 2nd game against Golden State is going to be very, very interesting. The Nuggets then, and that, actually the other thing too that I haven't mentioned yet, that Warriors game is the first game of a back-to-back. The second game of a back-to-back is the next day, April 3rd at 7 p.m. Mountain Time against the Spurs. I wonder if the timing of the Spurs game gets pushed back because by CBA rules, there has to be 24 hours between games. So on a back-to-back when the Nuggets play, play at 8.30 Mountain Standard Time against the Warriors in Golden State, and then they play at 7 p.m. the next day against the Spurs. From what I understand, which could be definitely wrong, that is technically against the collective collective bargaining agreement. So maybe that Spurs game actually gets pushed into a primetime slot on Wednesday, April 3rd. But regardless, that's going to be a very tough back-to-back for Denver. So, after that one, the Nuggets will then have a day off before having a home-and-home against the Portland Trailblazers for back-to-back divisional games. The Nuggets have already locked up their tiebreaker over the Portland Trailblazers, so that won't matter in terms of the tiebreaker. But if the Nuggets needed a couple more wins to lock in that number one seed, playing against the Yusef Nurkic-less Trailblazers twice in a row may be an opportunity to do so. Um, So they'll play them on April 5th and then April 7th, and then the Nuggets will stay on the road after April 7th and then go to Utah to take on the Jazz as well, looking to lock up their tiebreaker over Utah. Um, Then the Nuggets will finish the season at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves on the 10th of April. So the Nuggets are going to finish the season out in April with six straight games against Western Conference teams and the last four games of the season against divisional opponents. The reason that this is important in my mind and the reason that I really went so step-by-step is to show that the Nuggets are going to be playing some very good teams. I mean, all but one or all but two of those teams are playoff teams, and I believe eight of those nine teams, yeah, eight of those nine teams are all Western Conference teams, and then Four of them are going to be divisional opponents. So that's going to be a challenge. The Nuggets are going to have to step up and play much better, more consistent basketball against better teams to get those wins, which could actually be a blessing in disguise. Everyone looked at the end of that schedule as a worrisome point of the year where like, uh uh-oh, the Nuggets aren't in a position to where they are locked into the playoffs yet. That last stretch could be very, very menacing for them. But now that the Nuggets have the playoffs locked in and that they're just looking for seeding now, Now they'll be able to go in, like I was saying before, and play a better brand of basketball against a more talented team and give more effort because they need to in order to get back into a better rhythm before the playoffs arrive. So it's going to be a very interesting end of the season. Please stick around with with the, the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. We will be here for all Denver Nuggets news that comes around. Um, but that is the that is it for the show. It's going to be a very, very fun rest of the season. Thank you guys so much for following along. Thank you guys so much for all the responses I get when I ask for questions from listeners. Thank you guys for subscribing to this podcast. Thank you for downloading it. Thank you for listening to it. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for leaving comments, the whole nine. I wouldn't have a show without you guys. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I will be back in the next couple of days to do some playoff predictions. And until then, then we will talk to you guys later.